Man, woo! That was that was so good. Uh, welcome to Main Street Baptist Church. Welcome to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. We've been in First Corinthians later, and we come to a chapter here that gives kind of the longest treatment on the resurrection in in uh, virtually any book in the New Testament. And this is Resurrection Sunday, so we're going to talk about the resurrection. So with that, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through His Word. We're going to jump right into this. The text is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Can we do that again? I know it's like a Baptist. I think, hey, I wasn't raised Episcopalian. Okay, come on now. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. All right, you may be seated. All right, we're going to do that every once in a while. And so if some of you are going, oh, I'm waiting for the next time, it'll be on the screen or I'll give you the signal so you don't get lost or anything. Uh, Easter is a time of year, of course, where we most focus on the reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And uh, and, and that's, that's a good thing. But I, I want you to know, and you already know this already, that this is also the time of the year when on social media and your friends are going to say things like, yeah, 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 I'm so sure, like people... Y'all do know, right, that people don't die and then come back. I mean, most of us, we've never seen that happen, okay? I do have a friend of a friend who had a cat, true story, that he believed he saw come back from the dead. Now, this is not Pet Cemetery Part 5 or anything like that. He, he backed over his cat with his truck. He thought the cat was dead. And so, being a Christian, he did what any Christian should do. He wanted to pray for his cat to experience resurrection, and they have nine lives, so who knows? Maybe there's a shot. So he backs over the cat, wants to pray for his cat, but he thinks, you know, there'd be more power if I anoint the cat with oil. But he doesn't have any eucalyptus oil or olive oil or anything biblical sounding, so he does the best he can. He gets some motor oil out of the garage, pours it, true story, pours it on his cat, prays for his cat, and his cat jumps up and runs off. Okay, now when I heard that story, okay, I thought one of two things. One, that was amazing because that cat just came back to life. But if the cat were not actually dead, my second thought is that cat had a really, really bad day. <laughs> because his master just backed over him with his truck and dumped out a quart of Pennzoil all over him. I mean, that just, that's not good. So we all have our, like our little stories and we see stuff on YouTube and we go, well, maybe it's that and this. And okay, things get weird every once in a while. But on the whole, you know, dead people just don't come back. I, I have a friend, uh, Monty, actually he passed away recently. He was a friend from South Texas. He was a mortician. He did embalming and all the rest. And so he had told me kind of these funny stories and I will spare, I will spare you any of the details. Okay. But 
Just know this, post-mortem, sometimes bodies do. You know, they can twitch or move or even make sounds. It's strange, and there's all kinds of reasons for this. But Monty never told me about any time when he saw a body just get up, stand up, talk, and walk out of the room. It, it doesn't happen. And so, of course, around this time of the year, people go, okay, you Christians are a little weird because, uh, yeah, 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 we know Jesus was nice and everything, and he taught some wonderful stories, but really, you really think that happened? That sounds like an urban legend. That sounds like, you know, some sort of myth. That sounds like somebody was playing the telephone game, and somebody said, Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died. Oh, Jesus is alive again, and then it just kind of continued. How do you know that this really happened? I mean, really? I mean, that, that's a good question. I, wanted, I want you to know that people back in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, they wouldn't have been believing the story. I mean, Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection in general, and nobody really believes that people come back. And, and then you've got the Stoics, and you've, you've got the Platonists, and nobody would have been looking for this or expecting this. I and mean, this is just a super weird deal. So there are some people in Corinth the people to whom Paul is writing this book, 1 Corinthians, and they're skeptical of this having happened. And so Paul addresses their concerns. And I want you to notice right off the bat that, and and some of you here, you're believers, and some of you, you're not. And you're just kind of thinking things through. And I just want you to know that when people have questions about faith, Paul does not respond by saying, hey, stop asking those questions. Or don't think just believe. Just take my word for this. Trust me. Don't think about it. Don't, don't use your brain. Just believe what I'm telling you. That is never the response of Paul. That's never the response of anybody else in the New Testament for that matter. When there are questions, we give answers to the legitimate questions. And we never, as Christians, say, just turn off your brain for a second. As a matter of fact, the response is almost always, obviously, think more deeply on this. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the reason there is not so much Christian faith today is because people don't think as much as they once did or they don't think as much as they once did on ultimate things. You know, there was a time in this world where people asked questions about where do we come from? Where are we going? How do we get to where we need to be? What is the purpose of the human race? What is the meaning of life? What is reality? They would ask the big questions, the ultimate questions. Now, you know what people ask? How do I increase my standard of living? How can I lose 10 pounds quickly? How do I get discounts to these entertainment venues? It's just superficial. We we ask immediate questions. We don't press deeply. You know why? Because we've become rather superficial people. People used to have a depth. And they recognize that life is not best lived on the surface without asking any questions. The surface of things can can be so deceptive. Appearances can lie. You know this, right? I, uh, I'm reminded of the story of this woman who's on a train. She's seated opposite this young man. And as they're going along, she says, excuse me, are you Jewish? She says this is this guy. Are you Jewish? And he says, no, I'm not Jewish. And she says, are you sure? And he says, yeah, I'm sure. I'm not Jewish. Well, they keep going down the tracks. A little bit later, she asks again, okay, come on, tell me the truth. Are you Jewish? Now the man's a little bit upset, annoyed. And so he says, fine, fine. You got me. You're right. I'm Jewish. And then the woman says, funny. You don't look Jewish to me. 
Okay, now you know why that joke kind of works? It's because on the surface of things, we think that she's assuming he's Jewish. That's how jokes work. You kind of thought it was one thing, and then it was another. The surface can lie. This is why the Bible tells us always you have to press beneath the surface. Oftentimes, what pressing beneath the surface of things means is faith going deeper. This is why reason and faith run on the same tracks. They don't run against one another. They run in the same direction. That's why we're told in the Bible, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Because if you walk by sight, what you see is going to deceive you. Because things are not always as they appear to be. You live on the surface of things. Let me give you an example of this. Sometimes, let's suppose you had a really bad day this week. Oh, man, I sprained my ankle or I got dumped or, you know, my team lost or whatever the case is. God must not love me. It seems that way in the moment. God doesn't have a plan. He's not in control. There are moments of pain where it seems on the surface of things, God's not in control. God doesn't care. He must not exist. You know what the Bible encourages us to do? Walk by faith, not by sight. So what does that mean? That means see beneath the surface of things. Here's what you know. If you're a believer, you know God came in the Son, Jesus Christ. He lived the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died, and He rose again from the dead. That means God has a plan for your life. God cares about you. Things are not always as they appear to be. You've got to press beneath the surface of things and understand how things are. If you don't have faith, it helps you press beneath the surface of things. The surface of things will lie. I know sometimes people say, oh, you know, walk by faith, not by sight. What they mean is walk by faith, not by reason. That is not what the Scripture teaches at all. That is a terrible misinterpretation of things. When we're told to walk by faith, we're told to walk in accordance with how things really are, not how they appear to be. That's the contrast. That's why every time in the Bible when people have questions, Paul encourages and other writers encourage, think. Because thinking things through runs parallel with faith. Because if you just dismiss things or accept things on the surface of the matter, you're going to be deceived in terrible, terrible ways. So when Paul is asked these questions implicitly, hey, we're not so sure about the resurrection, Paul gives answers to their questions. That's what we're going to do this morning. So as we build our faith, if you're a believer, here's what I want to happen. I want to help build your faith as we think things through. And I, and if you're not a believer and you're still considering these things, I want to show you why faith in the risen Christ makes complete and utter sense. That the appearance of things is that, that people just don't come back from the dead, that it couldn't possibly be Jesus doing that. I would say, yeah, on the surface of things, that seems to kind of make sense. But isn't it true that if Jesus were the Son of God, that he would do what no one else could do? Doesn't it seem sensible that if Jesus is who he claims to be, God in the flesh, Lamb of God, doesn't it make sense that he would actually do some things that no one else would ever do to demonstrate that he was who he said he was and that he accomplished what he set out to accomplish? That makes sense. So let's just think about this one unique, extraordinary exception, the resurrection from the dead. Here's how Paul goes at it. There, there's a, a certain practicality to his arguments. And the, the question is, well, what if Jesus weren't raised from the dead? What if? And that's how he starts it out in the scripture here. He begins with this general question. And, and if Christ has not been raised, then what? I'm going to give you five things that come from the text. 
Here they are. Here's number one. If Christ has not been raised, our proclamation is in vain. Now, the word that's used there is kenosis, and that just means empty, okay, empty of power, empty of truth, empty of content, and empty of substance, empty, just absolutely empty, which is super disappointing. You got nothing. It seems like you got something, but you got nothing. How many of y'all have ever maybe ordered something and maybe it was, uh, you know, a meal and the very thing that you were after, they forgot to put on the plate? Did that ever happen to you? This happened to me recently at Starbucks. And I know some of you, you boycott Starbucks because of a bunch of liberals, and but they're nice people and they have good coffee, okay? So I go to Starbucks and I order the double smoked bacon, cheddar and egg sandwich, okay? Double smoked bacon, cheddar and egg sandwich. You know what they mean by double smoked bacon? If you, if I, let me translate that to Jack in the Box language. Bacony, bacony, bacon. But they're too fancy to say that, so it's just double smoke bacon. My, my mouth is watering right now, just thinking about it. It's because, and this is, okay, you're talking about things that are confusing. I don't understand why God kept his people from eating bacon for all of those years. That's my big question of the faith, because it's so good, you know. But anyways, I digress. So I go and I order the double bacon cheddar and egg sandwich. And uh, guess what happens? There's no bacon. Now, if you lead with bacon, you better have bacon on the sandwich. So I take my double-smoked bacon, cheddar, and egg sandwich, and I throw it on the counter. And she apologized. There's no bacon. She apologized. And I felt really bad. And I said, well, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a pastor from Main Street, and uh, my name is Jonathan Weldon. <laughs> and so, uh, okay, no. Okay. <laughs> you know, hey, what's the point of having pastors if you can't scapegoat from time to time? I mean, like, come on now. Okay, here's the point. Paul says, if there's no resurrection that happened, well, then our preaching is like a bacon sandwich without bacon. You got nothing. And the only thing you have in the middle is extra disappointment. It's like, it's like a gas can with no gas. It's like ordering a sandwich with no sand. There's just which. It's just like, what do you even do with this kind of thing? Okay. I recently, I recently saw the, uh, the trailer to, uh, oh gosh, what is that? The, oh, you know what? Let me, let me back up here. Cause I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving too fast. Uh, if Christ has not been raised, just moving forward here. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to hang out on this one here for a second. You know, look, I, about the proclamation being in vain. Uh, I recently saw the, the trailer to the movie uh, Indiana Jones 5, Dial of Destiny. You know, and uh, so how many of y'all young people think it's great that the action lead is 80 years old? I think that's fantastic, you know. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> there's there's one person who's aging who's like, yeah, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, you know, that's just weird. But at least, you know, Harrison Ford is still playing the lead role, and he's 80, like le- legit 80. And, I, and as I'm watching the trailer to the movie, I'm thinking, I hope that when I'm 80, I look that good. And then I started thinking, you know, Gina probably hopes that when I turn 80, I'll look that good. And then it occurred to me, she probably wants me to look good like that right now, even though he's 80, you know, I don't know. But anyways, it's kind of weird. So I'm watching the, I'm watching the preview. I'm watching the preview. And then there, there's the, the tagline, uh, or the, you know, marquee line of the movie. And Harrison Ford is talking as, you know, the action is going while he's riding a horse and whipping people and all that stuff. And here, here's the line that you'll see in the preview. It's like, and do this. <clears throat> I don't believe in magic. You know, he's, he's 80. Okay, give him a break. I don't believe in magic. 
But during my life, I've seen some things, things I can't explain. I'm sorry. Is that, you want, is that good enough? It's spot on? Okay, thanks. Thank you, family, for the encouragement. Uh, you know, I've seen some things, things I can't explain. But I've come to believe, and here's the line, I've come to believe that it doesn't matter. It's not so much what you believe. It's how hard you believe it. Doesn't matter what you believe, it's how hard you believe it. Now, you know what, what the Apostle Paul says to that line? That is absolute, utter nonsense. That's crazy talk. Of course it matters what you believe. It's all about what you believe. It's not how hard you believe it. it if you believe the world is round, that doesn't make it round. You should believe the world's round because it is round. If you believe that the world is flat and it's actually round, you're believing that it's flat isn't going to make it flat. It's just round. And Paul is saying the same thing with regards to the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection, not because it makes us feel good or we prefer it to be that way. Since the resurrection's happened, we believe in the resurrection. Paul puts it like this. He's, as it is, in verse 20, he says, as it is, Jesus has been raised. The good news is, he is risen. Here we go. He is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Okay, that was pretty close. That's, that's great. Uh, we're about truth and truth that matters. I know that sometimes people go to churches because they want, like, I don't know, a little, you know, religion juice or something, or a quaint story, or, I don't know, to check things off the week. I went to church this year. I got it done, or something like that. This is not the church for you. We're all about truth. We're all about truth that matters. And one of the biggest truths that matters that we give our lives to is this reality that Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Okay. So if our proclamation is vain, that's the first thing. If Jesus has not been raised and our proclamation is vain, well, then, of course, also our faith is in vain. Our faith is without basis. There's no base. There's no foundation for our faith. It's completely uh, empty. If Christ has not been raised, the, the text tells us, then our proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. In Christianity, faith is not... Uh, your faith is only as strong as the thing in which you believe. That is to say that in the Christian worldview, faith is not a special talent that some people have and other people don't. When, when you're a Christian, the difference between a Christian and, and, and a non-believer is not that some people have faith and other people don't have faith. The difference is where we put our faith. A believer puts their faith in Jesus and somebody who's not a believer puts their faith elsewhere. And in the Christian faith, we're not better than somebody else because, oh, our faith is stronger. We have more faith. Like, no, that's not, that's not the point. Your faith is only as good as the one in whom you place your faith. It, but everybody exercises faith. It all comes down to the strength of the thing or the person in whom you place your faith. Okay, let, let, let me put it like this. Imagine that I, I, I'm falling over a cliff. Let's suppose you're falling over a cliff. And as you're falling off the cliff, you see this branch that's extended out from the side of the cliff. How much faith, if you're falling off a cliff, how much faith does it take for you to grab hold of that branch? Very little. Mustard seed size. You don't, it doesn't take much faith at all because either you grab the branch or you're dead. Doesn't take much faith to grab it. But if you do grab the branch with very, very little faith, but you grab that branch and it holds, your faith connects you to something that is strong. And the thing to which you're connected makes you strong because you've placed your faith in the right place. Faith is only as strong as the one in whom you place your faith. It's not about your amazing faith. It's the amazing place where you put your faith. 
This is what Paul is driving at. Okay, The Apostle Paul is driving at this. If you place your faith in Jesus, who is risen from the dead, that's amazing. That's smart. That's great. You've got that strength. It's like grabbing hold of a titanium rope. It's not going to break. You've placed your faith in the right place. It wasn't about the amazing faith. It was about the amazing rope that you grabbed hold of. But suppose you grab hold of Jesus and he's not risen from the dead. Perhaps you've put your faith in Jesus and he's actually just, he's rotted away in some Palestinian hole in the ground. Then you have placed your faith, you have grabbed hold of a rope made out of silly string and that's crazy. You're dead. That's the point. See, if Jesus is not risen, then good news becomes terrible, horrible, worst news that you could possibly have in the world. If you place your faith in Jesus and he's not risen from the dead, your faith is baseless. Your faith is in vain. You've made a disastrous choice in your life. Here's how Paul opens up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read this together. Now, I want you to make, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that's the cross of Good Friday, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This is the whole thing is the thing of most importance. He died, was buried, rose again from the dead. You don't have the gospel if you don't have Jesus rising from the dead. Then Jesus goes on. I mean, Paul goes on and talks about the people who saw him alive and all the rest. We don't have time to get into that. But the point is, if Jesus is dead, your hope is worthless. Here's how Paul puts it over in Romans when he talks about what does it take to be saved? The importance of the resurrection. I want you to notice this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. Just It it does come down to this. If you're going to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Why is this so important? Well, let me tell you why it's so important, why it's tied to the gospel, why it's not just an optional extra piece. It all comes down to, was Jesus God in the flesh or not when he died on the cross? Okay? What Jesus does accept worship from people, identifies himself as the I am. We could go through all these things, but Jesus does claim deity, God. And God never lies. Well, how do we know that Jesus was God if he doesn't keep his word and he doesn't demonstrate that he has power over death? The one true God creates the world ex nihilo out of nothing. The one true God always keeps his word on everything. It sure would be nice if Jesus could demonstrate that he was who he said he was and that he actually did what he set out to do. Wouldn't that be great if Jesus kept his word? Because one of the things Jesus said, and he actually says it five different times, is that he would die He'd be buried and and risen again on the third day. If Jesus didn't keep his word there, he can't possibly be God. Not just a false prophet. No way in the world could could he be God because God doesn't lie. And if Jesus can't beat death, well, then he's obviously not God. It sure would be nice to know that something actual, substantial, cosmic happened on the cross. Oh, wait a second. We do know because Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. And, you know, the whole 
point of the gospel, or the whole idea of Jesus dying, is that he voluntarily, at least in accordance with the Father's will, he does, of his own volition, offer up his life. He lays down his life for people. You can't lay down your life for somebody else if your life isn't yours. If you don't have ultimate authority over death, well, then you don't lay down your life. I mean, I could give my life for you a little early, but you all know I'm going to die. Except Jesus coming back, maybe before before that opportunity happens, but I'm under the sentence of death because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We're all under that. If Jesus is under the wages of death, if Jesus doesn't have authority over death, he doesn't lay down his life. It's already been forfeit. But he does lay down his life for you and for me of his own volition in accordance with the will of the Father. How do we know this? Because Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. And you kind of wonder too, well, okay, well, he's a really nice guy and he sets out and he has good intent. But how do I know that he's actually strong enough to save me and save you? I do believe that if you were the only one, Jesus would have done it all just for you. It's very personal. Jesus does love us with an infinite love. The Bible does not teach that God musters up love on the basis of the numbers. His sacrifice for you was intensely personal. He loves each and every one of his children as if they were the only one. That's how parents love their children. I believe that. It's personal. He's got a good heart, obviously. There's a lot of people, though, they would read the Gospels and say, Oh, you know, Jesus seems like a really nice guy and he teaches good things and he loves the world. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But the question is still, does he have the power to save? Not just me, but does he have the power to save the whole world? And he demonstrates that he has that authority and that godlike power that he can put the whole, like Atlas, put all the world and all the sin and all the shame on his shoulders and carry it all. And we know that he has, in fact, done what he set out to do because Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Now, we love his intent. Does he have the power? I, I came across this uh, wonderful little story, and it's, uh, I, I came across this story of a Chinese guy in the Shandong province. He has this wife. I think we've got a picture. If we can put that up. He has a wife that's in a wheelchair, and she's actually quadriplegic. She had an accident in a factory, and it left her in a coma for years and years, and she never regained the use of her limbs, legs, or, or arms. But she had this dream of being taken to the top of one of these five most holy mountains in China. Okay, I know it's a pagan backdrop, but all of us bear the image of God and we can reflect his glory in different ways. And so his heart for his wife is like God's heart for you and for me. But he has, he has a, you know, he has this task. He wants to take his wife up to the top of this mountain. So he puts her on his back and he's got a couple of other guys that are balancing and, and the trip to the top of this holy mountain to get a little closer to heaven, it's a mile, a mile of those steps. It takes him eight hours. It's beautiful what he does. Of course, he has a couple of guys that are balancing him. And, and we can kind of see people doing their little part to save other people. And these are all beautiful moments. And we know Jesus is like that. But my question is, is Jesus strong enough to put the whole world on his shoulders? He's got the personal love. But is he cosmically powerful to get it done? When Jesus died on the cross, did he accomplish cosmic salvation, salvation for the whole human race, for all history. Is that actually what happened? Does he have the strength to do this? Well, yes, he does. You know how we know this? Because Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. 
So there, there are consequences if you don't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, our proclamation would be in vain and our faith would be useless, be worthless, baseless. There's a couple of other things I want to jump to real quickly and I can do them real quickly because they're tied so seamlessly to these first two points. The third thing is if Christ has not been raised, gospel preachers are false witnesses. Now, Paul doesn't call us liars. You, you mean, you know, people can... People can be terribly mistaken and they're not a liar. But if you know it's not true and you propagate an untruth, well, then you're a liar. But Paul just says, hey, we could be terribly, terribly wrong, false witnesses nonetheless. And if you mean well, but you tell people an untruth, that's, that's terrible. You ever set somebody up, oh, this guy will be perfect for you, and then he's like a disaster. You know, he's a stalker. Hey, I meant well. No, it didn't. You still feel terrible because you set them up for failure, right? Paul says if what we're preaching isn't actually true, it's a horrible untruth. And even though you meant well, you still, in some respect or another, have blood on your hands. Because this is important. And if you got this wrong, that's terrible. We talk about how important it is to tell the good news to people. But if the good news is actually bad news and we're telling them that it's really good news, we're setting them up for absolute, utter foolishness and devastation. Here's how Paul puts it. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses, not liars, but false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. We're, we're spreading lies, not knowing them to be lies. But that's still bad. Number four, if Christ has not been raised, number four, believers are still dead in their sins. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, empty. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, you're like a skydiver without a parachute. You're like a deep sea diver and there's no oxygen in your tank. If Christ is still is just rotted away in some Palestinian holy ground, well, you're still dead in your sins, and when you die, you will perish forever and ever and ever. That's Paul. Now, there's one more thing, and this is one that people have a really, really hard time with. I don't because I love the, the, just the gritty nature of Paul to make this absolutely objective, historic reality and live with the consequences on it. He says, number five, if Christ has not been raised, believers should be most pitied. I want to read the passage again because some people, even Christians, have a hard time with this. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If you believe in Christ for this life only, and that is that Jesus hasn't really been raised, and you give of your time and talent and treasure sacrificially, and you love people sacrificially, and sometimes because you're a Christian, you get mocked and you get shunned and you don't have entry to certain circles and all of the other things, and you suffer persecution, which the disciples did suffer persecution because of their belief. If it's only for this life that you believe in Christ, but you've misplaced your faith, when somebody puts you six feet under, they ought to feel sorry for you. In fact, if it turns out that you're wrong, you should feel sorry for yourself. Self-pity is absolutely appropriate. We should be pitied more than anybody on the face of the planet. Well, that's kind of dramatic. 
Because there is this line that goes around, and I hear this sometimes in Christian circles. Well, even if Christianity is not true, even if Jesus weren't actually raised from the dead, even if that's just a myth or an Easter story like the bunny or, you know, rabbits laying chocolate eggs and whatever, hey, at least I was a good citizen. At least my Christianity made me a good person. At least I meant well. I lived a moral life. Uh, Paul would say, if that's your position... I strongly disagree with you. There is no upside to being absolutely, thoroughly, morally, royally scammed. You can't get scammed and take comfort in the fact, well, at least I tried. Really? Come on. I was asked by John Murphy, uh, and we are friends, and I love apologetics, and there's a hard-mindedness to just Christianity. And he asked me one time, if someone would show you incontrovertibly that Jesus died and he never rose again, like there's some DNA evidence or we knew that was Jesus and he's in this little tomb. and If you knew Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would you forsake your Christianity? Absolutely. I would turn my back on Jesus just like that if he was still dead. You say, well, that just sounds harsh. That's Paul. If you know you're standing on quicksand, I'm just going to still stand here. What? I'm holding on to a, a rope of silly string, uh, but I'm not going to let go, even though I know it's not going to hold me. I don't understand that. Paul says, if it didn't actually happen in history, you should be pitied more than anybody else. There is no comfort to be had in being royally scammed, but I'm still going to stand my ground. Come on. Year, how many of you all remember Bernie Madoff? That, does that ring a bell? Okay, years and years ago, this was 2008, there was this Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff was involved, and he, like, made off with $64.8 billion. It was terrible. When he was put in jail and he looked back on it all, he, he called it one big lie. Lots of people got deeply, deeply hurt. It was too late. I remember this one interview of this one couple, this, the, the Simpkins, Doug, no, it was Arnold and Joan Simpkin. And uh, they were in their retirement years. They put everything they had into this Ponzi scheme. And uh, when they were being interviewed, here was their response to having been royally scammed. Our world is upside down. It's like a bad dream. We are bankrupt. They couldn't say, well... You know, we tried and we did the right thing by putting money ahead for our future and at least, at least, you know, we, we meant well. Our lives are upside down. It's like a bad dream. We are bankrupt. You get royally scammed your whole life long. You can't say, well, I take satisfaction in having tried. And I'm filled with joy and wonder and peace. Wait, no, there is none. You are to be pitied more than all people. That's Paul. So, as Christians, we all go, here's the high upside. But if we're wrong, woo! Like, super low downside. Because if Christ has not been raised, our proclamation is like a bacon sandwich with no bacon. It's like a faith in the rope of silly string. If Christ has not been raised, we are terribly, terribly misleading people. 
in horrible, horrible ways. And we're still dead in our sins. They're going to perish forever and ever. And we are to be pitied above all other people. That's Paul. Now, some of you go, oh, man, let's pray. (laughs) Put a smile on your face. Because Paul doesn't end there. He says, as it is, Christ has been raised. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Now, here's the, here's the kind of question that obviously comes next. Well, well, how do I know? How do I know that Jesus has actually been raised from the dead? You've shown me the consequences and that Christianity, unlike any, this is one of the differences between Christianity and any other world religion. We put everything on the line with regards to a, an historical, verifiable or unverifiable event. Nobody puts it all on the line with regards to the historicity like Christianity does. Nobody, not even close. So you go, how do, how do we know this happened? Okay, three things. Empty tomb, hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses, and the testimonies of lives that have been radically changed. That's the basic gist of it. Now, some of us in here are saying, well, I don't know all the different arguments and the arguments of the arguments. And the, you know, you don't have to know all of it. If you believe that it happened, that is enough. I, my parents told me that that the world was round. And that's all I knew. And it turns out, Dad, you were right. Just because my parents told me didn't mean it was wrong. It was right. But I don't have to have all the reasons. And later on, I learned some of the reasons. But I know the world is round. Uh, I don't understand how electricity works. But that doesn't keep me from flipping on the switch when I come into a room. I believe in electricity. I believe in light. Okay? I don't have to know how it works. You don't have to have all the ins and outs or be, you know, Mr. Apologetic Scholar or whatever to believe the resurrection and to believe in it responsibly. Okay? But if you want to know why do you believe what you believe, this is a great book to help you with this. The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. Fantastic book. We've got lots of books over here on these tables. Please feel free to take one. Also, if you go, well, I'm not so sure about Christianity, but I want to investigate this more. This is also for you. Well, okay, Ernest, thanks. You've made a case that this is at least probably the most supremely significant event in the history of the world. I, I want to know, is there really a, an historic, rational reason to believe it? And I'm going to say yes. This will give you kind of the nuts and bolts of the of the reasoning. Please pick it up. And some of you are going, oh, man, that book's like half a centimeter thick. It's five inches tall. It's 87 pages long. How am I going to read that? That's going to take me like two and a half hours. I could rewatch Avatar for the fourth time, you know. Okay. Yeah, you've got a point there. If, if you rewatch a movie, it ought to be Apollo Creed, like Creed 2. That's like my favorite. Anyways, but even Creed 2 doesn't trump this book. If you want to know more about why do believers believe what they believe, here you go. There's your gift. But let's just suffice it to say this. The gospel's true. Jesus came. He suffered. He died. The gospel is all true. Jesus is real. He died for you. And Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Let's bow forward to prayer. God, thank you so much for the confidence that you give us that what you did on the cross was not a waste of time or some cosmic accident that meaningfully you sent your son Jesus Christ and he did live the life we should live, died the death we should have died as a supreme, perfect sacrifice you coming and taking our place and intentionally, purposefully laying down your life for our benefit. 
and you demonstrated you were who you were, that you are a promise-keeping God, that it was, in fact, God in the flesh, that Paul is right in, in the book of Acts, Acts 20, when he talks about how it's by the very blood of God that we've been saved. What a strange way to talk, and yet we believe this to be true, not simply because we want it to be true, but because we have the resurrection. Lord, I pray that, that those of us who maybe want to dig in a little bit more as to why we believe what we believe, that we would do that. And for those who are still seeking to understand, that they would at least take it upon themselves to investigate what is arguably the most important event in all of history. Just Christian history, just history. There's a reason that history revolves around Jesus. There's a reason that so many people who are not looking for resurrection would have believed it. Lord, I pray that we would dig in with our minds and with our faith and that both would grow simultaneously in the best of ways. But maybe, maybe, maybe there's somebody here this morning who would say, you know, I do believe in the resurrection. I, I just believe it. I don't need more. I, just, I believe. Okay, well, this morning, maybe for the first time, you would just say to God, God, I know that I sinned. I, you know, nobody has to convince me of that. I know I've fallen short, and I also know I need a Savior, that I'm not perfect. And, but I also know, Lord, I need the forgiveness of my sins. And I know the one to whom I could turn. It's Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross, lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, and then he rose again from the dead demonstrating that he died for me, for the whole world, and I believe that. And so, God, right now, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I want what Jesus did for me to be applied to my life. I acknowledge him as Lord, and I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that, I want to encourage you.